Welcome to another episode of Remembering Me, the Intentional Healing Podcast. I'm Candice Love. We have a beautiful, beautiful guest today, which is... Hey, y'all. My name is Kara J. And you got your boy, Brick City Buddha, also known as Docs, in the building. We back. Episode 7? Is this episode, Ooh, episode 7? Episode 7, yeah. Ooh, number yep. 7. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good number. Yes, it is. Oh, right. That is a great number. Right. So that means we're going to have a lot of special things to talk about with y'all today. And and can you give them a little bit of a rundown for those who may not know you, who may be under a rock, who Kara J is? Uh, I'm just, I'm an all-around creative, right? I do movies, I do poetry, I do books, I do public speaking, I do vlogging and writing and drawing and Mm -hmm. singing. Anything creativity, that's my bag. Beautiful. And in your words, a boss B. We can't curse on here, but a boss B. (laughs) Um, and it's dope because even how we connected initially uh, was even before the event that we had with AJ. Shout out to my brother, AJ. I'm rocking the shirt right now, bro. Um, but we just did God Talk together. We shared yes, the yes. stage, which was an honor to be able to do that with you, um, with just Mike the Poet, of course, my brother, AJ. But even previous to that, I first caught wind of you, um, your intervention piece, which, Ooh. of course, has gone everywhere. If y'all don't know her, once you type her in, that algorithm will open up and you see she's been everywhere for the past six, seven years, Mm -hmm. viral all the time. But the first piece of content I caught from you was the intervention piece. And it was kind of similar to when I caught Wendy Candace. Um, I just knew that you had a voice I wanted to support, that I knew people in general, but especially women needed to hear. Mm -hmm. And I just started sharing your stuff. And at a certain point, I think you just thanked me. And um, I just appreciated your humility. And from that point, I had no idea we would actually be sharing this type of space, time, and energy. So I'm just, I just want to salute you for everything you've done before we even cross paths. Because like she said, she's being very modest. Uh, four books, correct? Mm-hmm. You got Naked, you got The Breaking Point, you got The Healing Point, and you got The Children's Book. Yep, yep. Um, I just watched your movie oh, on YouTube. I, I went all the way back through your, uh, your YouTube page. Uh, your YouTube page when you was super young, just starting to do the poetry. <laughs> poetry was still fire. So you've really been getting it out the mud for a long time. And to get to this point and still have a certain level of, of humility is a beautiful thing to see. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, no doubt. that. Absolutely. So what is the title of our podcast today? All right. So we're going to keep it classy. We're going to keep it spicy at the same time because that's what she embodies. And when I first uh, told Candace what the theme was going to be, she's like, I don't know if I want to go with that. but when you when you hear the breakdown of what we're about to talk about um the title the theme of today is going to be whole phase healing right um and we're not she like i don't want her to think we calling her yeah she she already vibrate and teaching (laughs) via what a lot of people are going through as far as our whole phases it's a lot that can be learned from the whole phase um but before we even get into it i have my own particular breakdown as i was thinking about this topic of what the whole phase actually is because you being a wordsmith you know how powerful words can be Absolutely. the spells that we cast and when you on that stage when you in your pad writing your bars we're literally casting spells mm-hmm. so when we hear a word like whole it's automatically a negative connotation mm-hmm. And when you get to the other end of it, you start to realize, I needed to go through every bit of that. I needed to deal with every F-boy, every demon D, whatever it was, I needed all that data. So for me at this point, whole, I'm going to use as an acronym, right? And it's two different phases of the whole acronym for me. First of which is happiness over everything, right? 
And that's the phase where we out here in these streets and we chasing sensation and we looking for somebody or something to fill the void in our heart, which turns into a lot of stress and turmoil, right? That's what most people consider the whole phase. We still are in the whole phase, just an an involved aspect of it, which I call healing over everything. Mm -hmm. So the first aspect is just when you serve in your body, you serve in your senses, demand for satiation. And now we on the side where we're serving God. And it's still, we thought it out on a divine level and doing whatever we got to do to serve our purpose. So of course, first I want to start with just your definition and what were some of the most powerful things you learned from when you was in the first aspect, the chasing happiness over everything aspect of the whole phase? Um, For me, it was unlearning what happiness actually was Mm. because I spent so much of my whole phase (laughs) doing things that would make me happy, but it wasn't really what made me happy. It was Mm. just what I was told I needed to do to find that happiness. Like you need to, you need to have a man, you need to, you need to get an orgasm. You need to do this. You need to do that. So I'm going, okay, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But I still wasn't happy on the inside. So I want to say once you really learn yourself and you learn that happiness is custom made, Mm. then you can find that real happiness outside of what you've been told it looks like. Absolutely. Mm, Yeah, that's beautiful. And and even with um, my understanding of happiness now to both of us, me and Candice, a lot of the things that was on the other side of our idea of happiness was things that wasn't comfortable that we ain't want to have to do. We just had a conversation yesterday. I ain't want to have to heal and stop drinking and all this other stuff. But you start to realize when you transcend the preferences that have been set by your family, culture, society, you start to realize a lot of what your soul needs you to experience is on the other side of your idea of happiness. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stressful things is what you have to get through to get to that top shelf level. There are these intermediate phases where you could bust a nut, have a beautiful uh, plate of food and a lot of flavor, but those high-end things, wanting peace and a beautiful space to live and being able to take care of your family, you got to do things that's on the other side of happiness that a lot of times we aren't conditioned to go towards. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, for me, my definition of my whole phase Mm -hmm. wasn't necessarily about what I did with my body or... um, anything like that it was more so ways that I found to escape reality mm. it was ways that I found to escape pain it was ways that I found to numb myself so those of you who may know some of my story how I suffered from alcohol addiction I'll be five years sober March 27th <laughs> so all of those things um, relationships I was never really a relationship person, even though I was in some crazy relationships. (laughs) But my, yes, my whole phase was finding people, places, or things that I could numb myself. And there is a huge difference between solitude and isolation. Mm -hmm. And for a very long time, even when I started my healing journey, I was convinced that I was in solitude. And I wasn't. I was in isolation. I was not comfortable being around other people. I was not comfortable allowing people in my space. I wasn't comfortable allowing people close to me. It came out in even how I hugged people, really soft and like that little delicate tap. Mm -hmm. And all of that had something to do with my need to escape reality in general so my happiness 
or what I thought at that moment was happiness was being able to avoid anything and everyone. So I would stay to myself so I would not have to feel the backlash that would come out in relationships. That's why when me and my husband met, one of the biggest things was I don't want to be in a relationship. It wasn't because I didn't want to be in a relationship. Hindsight, it was because I wanted to escape all of the overwhelming emotions that tend to come out in relationships that make you feel unseen, unheard, acknowledged, unwanted, that make you remember those triggers, those wounds, and those voids that you're trying to run away from. Absolutely. And, um, of course, I was digging into some of your bars, right? Um, me being a rap, I'm always say bars. Y'all can say poetry if you want, but she got <laughs> bars. So there was, um, there was a certain section of one of your poems where you said you was talking about having sex and kind of just getting it out the way. You remember the name mm -hmm. of the poem? First date sex. First date sex, okay. <laughs> you had the crowd going, of course. The ladies was in there snapping it up, right? But it was a few pieces that stood out, one of which you said, the pressure of leading up to the physical is something I can't take. And in the past, I made the mistake of investing in men that can't make me shake, right? But what I know of you as of late um, you have had extended periods of that isolation. That was bars. Did that you hear that? Bars. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure you heard it. Hold on. What? Something I said? Yeah. what I say? But what I know of you as of late, it rhymed with oh, what she wow. said. <laughs> Let's go. It's nothing. It's nothing. Fact. That, that's change. why that's my wife. <laughs> right? Um, but what I, what I know of you as of late, you've talked a lot about um, what you've gained from your period of isolation, mm -hmm. your period of solitude and kind of you know, uh, tapering off maybe some of your sexual activity. Yes. At what point did you, because that's a shift in philosophy. Yeah. At what point in that shift philosophy start to happen for you? Um, I want to say I kept getting into situations where it would be sex-centered and driven. Mm -hmm. So it's like our chemistry is through the roof. Our bond may even be elite, but it's not getting me where I want to go. Like I can feel something is missing in all of these relationships. So then um, the last guy that I met, he was just like, we're, we're not going to have sex. Mm. We're going to do we're going to do everything but have sex. We're going to build intimacy mm -hmm. and I'm going to force you to talk to me and grow with me and get close to me without ever sleeping with me. And I was just like, that's a thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> At what point did he say this to you? In the beginning, because, wow. you know, first date sex. Right, I'm like, right, the right, first, yeah. the first line of that poem is, I like to let the sex come first before right. we think of things to say, before we dive into our most inner thoughts, let's get the uh-uh out of right, the way. Right. And he was like, that's cute, but no. You're going to build. Mm. You're going yeah. gonna to get to know a man outside of sleeping with him. Why do you think that was your thought process and how you should enter a relationship? Because... Oftentimes, we let sex cloud our judgment, and we let sex be the reason why we're so, oh my God, I should have never had sex with him when things go bad or whatever. Right. So I found that if I, if I had sex with people I didn't care about, mm. I knew that by the time I cared about you, it wasn't because of the sex. Mm. It wasn't because, oh my God, I waited to care about you, and then we had sex and you left. It was kind of like, I had sex with you, and if I wind up caring about you, then I don't really feel like I lose anything. Mm. I feel like... Um, sex wasn't the reason that you were here. Mm. And I tried to differentiate between men that want to use you for sex or men that actually enjoy your company. If we get sex out the way early and you stay, then I know that you might gotcha. want something more out of it. You're not just here for the orgasm because there's people who do the whole build up and they get you close and of they course. court you and then they finally get it and they're like, all right, thanks for playing. And I'm right. like, 
yeah, I don't want to keep wasting my time. Let's just do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do it. And then if we still rocking with each other after that, then yeah. How, how You wanted to say something? Yeah, I was going to ask. That sounds like it's been something that's happened to you mm-hmm. a few times mm-hmm. to the point that it's created the narrative to make you write something like that and mm-hmm. feel as if it's something that works to get the sex out of the way. Mm-hmm. How often has something happened to you like that? Because that's not normal behavior and it's not always everyone else's experience either. Right. So how often has some something like that happened to you and how did that start to affect you over time? Um, for me, it kind of made me feel unchosen. And I, I talk, I got a poem called The Flowers That I Love Never Get Picked, where I talked about, you know, the saying that says, if you like a flower, you pick it, but if you love it, you water it daily. So I kept finding myself in positions with these men that's just like, oh, I care too much about you to hurt you. So they vibe with me and then they realize they got to step a certain way and then they walk away and go be with someone and they could play with more. And that made me feel like, mm that made me feel overlooked, that made me feel unseen. But the other side of the poem is also, I had some disappointing experiences with men where it was, I'm building with you, I'm talking with you, and I like your personality, and then when we go to lay down, we're not compatible. Mm. And then I felt like I just kind of wasted my time because I really need my sexual chemistry and energy to match my partners. So I didn't want to waste any more time, whether it be you sleeping with me and realizing you just want to be friends or whether it be me sleeping with you and realizing that you're not good at it. I tried to just get it out the way to avoid both of those scenarios. Mm. Like I didn't want to be overlooked again. And I also didn't want to keep having bad sexual encounters. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So low key was a little bit of fear intertwined into that philosophy. Mm -hmm. And just just out of curiosity, like because I never had a woman approach me. With that, even if that was on their mind, they wouldn't be like so overt with just saying it, right? Um, they definitely out there, of course. <laughs> but like, what what percentage of men would respond positively to that? Like, whether y'all relationship turning into anything further, like, what was the reception like from men when they would realize this is what time it is? It was it was like fifty fifty because men think they want that until they get it, <laughs> and then I'm the villain, and then I'm the bad guy, and oh, you're just trying to use me for sex, and Word. she's like, oh man, I got so much of that. Like they, they started whole pages trying to call me like future. They call me the female future, wow. and I'm like future. <laughs> I'm honest. Like I feel like respect the honesty. I'm mm. not saying. Let's get the sex out the way and that's all that's going to be. I'm saying let's get the sex out of the way to see if there is more after this. I don't want to waste my time or yours because I know that if we build and we converse and it's not good, I'm going to leave you. So to save both of our time, let's just go there first. But yeah, it was it was like 50-50. Because then it also pushed back on me if I'm coming into it saying, oh, yeah, I just want to have sex or whatever. And then I grow feelings. Right. And he's like, remember what you said in the beginning? Now you want to be in a relationship. Right, right. So it was just like, it wasn't a good philosophy. I wrote that at 26 years old. I, I got one more question go ahead, before we go, go to you. Because um, this is interesting. <laughs> so with that percentage, um, how many of those situations where it would be like kind of quickly going to sex, how many of those brothers were good percentage-wise? Oh, very, very, yeah. I, I I, think that after my big breakup with my ex, I found myself focusing on character more than anything. Remember when I talked about the nah, nah, I, I mean, like, how, what percentage of them were good at sex? Oh, good at sex. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of great sex. <laughs> <laughs> you know why they were all good at sex? Because I'm so public 
Okay. And I am so transparent. <laughs> Men were just like, I know that if I do a bad thing, I'm going to have right, to see I this on you. Twitter. So you. there's certain men that have avoided me because they're like, hmm, right. I don't know if I'm ready to step up to the plate <laughs> of getting a poem written about me. So you know you got to come correct because no, no I'm going to write about it. So I think that my experience have always been good because they know that this is material. Gotcha. So it's like, let me bring my gotcha. A game. No like doubt. she ain't going to be putting me in a book talking about I was trash. <laughs> how, how much of your sexual experiences have actually been safe, emotionally mm. safe spaces for you? Um... I want to say, to be honest, like, like 85, 90% because I have a, a tomboyish energy, right? Mm. Even if I'm going into it going, all it's going to be is sex and all I want is sex, like men love me and they, they, they enjoy my friendship first. There's been instances where I've tried to only come into it on some, let's just do it. And then the man finds out who I am and how I think and what I bring to the table. And he's like, I don't have capacity to only just sleep with you. Like mm. my friendship is the best part about me, which I talk about in a poem. Like it's my energy that men are more into. So when I'm having these encounters, even if I'm trying to slip myself out, they're not with that. Gotcha. Like it's just something about me that men just can't put me in a category of, oh, we just going to do it. It's, mo it's almost always a, can we at least be friends? Like, can we at least talk about stuff in life? And I'll just be like, hmm. Okay, let me ask you this. Because <laughs> these are men that it sounds like have the emotional infatuation mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. How many men that you actually really wanted to be with the ones that gravitated towards you in an emotional way mm -hmm. did you feel emotionally safe with when you had sex to the point it was not just about the sex to where it was, it was more it felt like souls actually connecting to where you felt safe to where you felt protected provided for that you felt honesty in those people and you felt like you could trust those people with your heart so Almost all the men I've slept with, I felt emotionally safe with. But the problem is I didn't feel romanticized by them. Mm. Because, because they come to me from a place of friendship, I know that they would do anything for me. I know that they would protect me. I know that they would feed me and help me with anything. But my issue always came in with the flowers and the googliness. Like Men don't have a problem loving me. They have a problem loving me outside of platonic intimacy. They have a problem loving me in the space of a wife instead of like a home girl. So like, even if they were having sex with me, it was more so I'm having sex with my friend. Mm. And then people will do anything for their friends. But I always found a problem with getting out of that friendship space with men. It was like, I never felt like I would be discarded by a man. All of the men that I've slept with, I know that I could call them right now and get anything. But as a friend... And you can feel it when a man desires your company more than they do your romantic energy. How did that make you feel? Is that when you say it made me feel looked over? It did. And not it chosen? And it, it messed me up to the point where I was like, I don't want to be no friends with no more men. Because <laughs> y'all not going to keep homegirling me. Like, I'm still a woman. I want flowers and googliness. Like, y'all want to come to me to be y'all friend all the time. 
So when I met the guy that I'm seeing now, I tried to only present myself as a romantic partner. I tried to hold back all of my friendship energy and all of the things that men love so much about me because I'm like, I don't want you to fall in love with my friendship and not be able mm. to romanticize me. I don't want you to feel like, oh man, this is my dog. I can tell her anything and then think you don't got to get me flowers because when you have such a tomboyish masculine energy, people want to lay up and, and, and feel like you the homie. And that's where my issue came from. So it, it made me feel like, why not me? Like, why, why, why is she getting that? And I ain't get that. But you know, you, you do anything for me, but give me kisses and, and Valentine's day cards. Mm, like that, yeah. that was my issue. So, so if that's the case with um, the new relationship, mm -hmm. at what point do you introduce full throttle, uh, full, full throttle friendship? version of yourself because to a certain degree you're still holding some of you back so everything was good i was going along with my oh we're just going to be romantic ideology but i introduced him to one of my friend groups mm -hmm. and when he got to see me with my friends he was like wait a minute <laughs> you're funny like you're so funny like right. i didn't know you was that funny i didn't know you was like that cool like so then he he just kind of sat me down and let me know like um I'm still attracted to you when you get in your tomboyish bag. I'm still, I'm still that much into you when you're being like a New York girl. Like that's the reason that I like you. I'm still gonna get you flowers and and kiss you on your forehead when you being a real ass nigga. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I think his reassurance is what allowed me to bridge because I, I've never been able to bridge. I've always been showing my friendship side and expecting the romance to come or showing my romantic side and then holding back the friendship. So now it's like, he's like, no, you're safe enough to, I'm still going to cuddle you and, and treat you like my friend though. So there's going to be spaces where we, we laid up and, and I know that I'm your girl, but then there's spaces where it'd be like, yo, let me tell you about da, 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 da. Like, mm -hmm. So I, I got that reassurance from him to help me bridge the two. What is your relationship with your masculine and your feminine self? Um, so as a New York woman, <laughs> Harlem, <laughs> Harlem, my masculine is my protector. Like my masculine is what, what allows me to walk the streets by myself. It allows me because I developed super young. Um, I got a lot of the wrong attention real young. And I learned that the more you looked like a man, the more men wouldn't want to try you. Mm. So it was kind of like. Um, some women choose femininity for their comfort that I just learned to reject for my safety. And I just became rugged and tough because I didn't want people realizing that I had a big booty as a little girl. Like I'm, I'm not even in out of junior high school when it's 30 year old men running down on me. So I just mm. rejected the whole idea of it. And I was like, what do the boys do? I want to be a boy. I don't want to be a girl anymore mm. because of the pressures that come with it. So I just became more and more masculine to protect myself. And then I didn't start stepping back into my feminine bag until I became a mom because I'm like, okay, I'm having a daughter. How am I raise a daughter right. and I'm a dude? Like, how am I <laughs> supposed to do this? And she's so girly to the point where she's like, mama, you're never going to find a honey if you don't take off those boxers. <laughs> uh -uh, not the boxers. <laughs> I would, listen, ball head, boxers, basketball shows, like I was really mm -hmm. in my masculine bag. And she's like, come on, can we just like paint our nails and just do some girl stuff? Like she made me feel safe enough to know that it's duality in it. Like 
And I always thought like, I'm not feminine because I'm not feminine presenting. And my older sister taught me like, human beings are the only species that reject femininity based on appearance. Because if you mm. see two sharks in the water, mm. you're not going, that's a girl shark and that's right. a boy shark. A shark is a shark. She's like, your nurturing is what makes you feminine. The way you love is what makes you feminine. So even if you got your bald head and your boxes, you're such a woman that none of the other things is what's making you feminine. You're very feminine. And I never really knew that. I thought I was just masculine. <laughs> mm -hmm. Got you. No, let me ask you this. When it comes to the stories of not being chosen, because that was um, a huge wound that I had for a very long time and still a wound that shows to rear its head at certain times. And so one thing about myself is I have to be um, very mindful of all of my wounds, all of my traumas, all of my voids. That's the work that I do. I make sure that I'm clear on who I am. I give myself permission to dissect who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my huge wounds was not feeling chosen. I identified my dad being an alcoholic. He chose alcohol over me. That was the narrative and the story that my childhood mind chose to run with. And because of that, um, every relationship I would get in would begin to reflect that. Mm. So it's not that men were actually choosing other people over me. It's that this narrative that was so strong cultivated all of the energies within the universe to where it started to present situations that looks like people were choosing other women over me until I started to heal that I don't feel chosen. Mm -hmm. How come they never choose me? How come they choose someone else's wound? So how did you begin your process of healing through that wound of not feeling chosen? Because that is a very heavy wound. For me, it was a complete level of understanding because I don't love people from a place of possession or entitlement. I just love them for their existence. I love them mm. outside of what they could do for me. So I had to step back and realize that most of the time, like literally 90% of the time when a man was choosing another woman over me, that other woman was more suited for him than me. Gotcha. And because I built friendships with these men, you want your friends to be happy. So there would be times where I would see Yo, you might just need, we might just need to call this quits because she's a better fit for you. Mm. And yes, you're not choosing me in this instance, but you're choosing something that's better for you than me. And I constantly reiterate to my audience, I hope you do not internalize not being chosen because when you internalize it, then you think it's about you and it's not about you. It's about their choices. And I also sat with how many times did I choose someone over them? How many times did I make the choices that were better for me than them? That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. That just means we're just not in alignment. And I think that we, we focus so much on ourselves in the space of other people's experience that we think it's about us. And my healing came from realizing that it wasn't that they were ch not choosing me so much as it, it was them choosing someone else. Because the last two guys I wanna say I dealt with the last two guys I took seriously when they told me like they wanted to go be with their other partners. And I was just like, oh, not again. But I was just kind of like, it makes sense. Hmm. It always makes sense. I would have to change <laughs> too much of me to be with you. And she's already what you want. So how am I gonna, how am I gonna make that feel like, oh my God, it's you, me that you don't want when it's no, you're going after what you want. Mm -hmm. And that's just what it is. I can't internalize it because when I meet my person, it was kind of like, I didn't have to, 
struggle to be chosen with him, it was kind of like, finally, we, we found someone that we, we choose each other. Mm. And it ends with everybody until the person it doesn't end with, for real. So in those situations where the universe continues to give you those repetitive cycles, it's the intention for you to go in and heal that wound. And nine times out of 10, the inner child that also didn't feel chosen. Mm -hmm. So what area in your childhood started to begin that narrative that you were not chosen? Oh, I'm a third daughter. Mm. I'm a third daughter in a row. So I, I have this discussion with my parents often. First daughter is, oh my God, we finally got a baby girl. My second sister, it was my dad, he was Islam, I mean Muslim. So he's like, oh, we finally have a Muslim child. And then I came 16 months after her. So then I remember asking my parents, like, you know, my whole childhood, I kind of felt like I was just there. And mm. my dad said my brother was their first baby. That was their love child. My mm. second sister was their first daughter. My third, my, my, um, the third child was the first Muslim baby. And then my baby brother was their baby boy mm. after having so many girls. And I said, where did I fit in in that? And he was just kind of like, I mean, you kind of just came. Like... <laughs> So I was always just there. It would be like, oh, sweet 16 for one sister, limos for the next. And it would be like, by the time it got to me, it right. always felt like the momentum had died down. Never had the birthday party, mm. never had the big prom, never had these big moments. It was just kind of like, you feel it when you're a third girl in a row. Right. <laughs> and it was just kind of like, oh my God, like what what's happening? So I, I do not like the whole concept of gender reveals when people get so disappointed. Oh yeah, that's oh horrible. God. That's so I have horrible. Three boys already. Why am I having another boy? I'm like, your kids is gonna feel yeah. that they're just another one of that gender. So, growing up as a third girl in a row, you feel like nothing about you is special. What What are you doing that your sisters haven't done? Okay, take these clothes because they outgrew them. Okay, you can have this because they're finished with it. It was nothing that I felt was about me. So when I became an adult, I just tried to make all of these huge moments for myself. I had to create Kara J so she could feel important because I was essentially feeling invisible in my family. I was just there. There was, there was never a big deal about anything I had growing up. I was just a third girl in a row. Mm -hmm. So having these discussions with my parents and my mom and my dad, they're super apologetic about it. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, we, we talk very candidly about the whole thing and they, their their reaction to me is my siblings were more loud. Mm. They were more expressive and they kind of just thought I was fine because I was so quiet. Gotcha. Like when you don't ask for love, then people might not think you need it as much. And I'm like, you know, I was asking, but in a different way. Mm. I'm not going to come out and say, hey, could you love me and give me some attention? I'm going to start flunking out of school maybe right, and, right. you know, get some Fs and try to get, you know, do something. But yeah, it was just a disconnect growing up because they had so many children. Gotcha. See, a lot of times and a lot of men that I work with don't understand that intimacy goes beyond the gifts, the touch, all these different things. Intimacy is information, mm. uh, data about your partner, you know, the, the new age intimacy and all that type of stuff, but it's real. So with that being said, at what point does your partner, whoever you may be dealing with at the time, get that type of intimacy, that type of look into what you've experienced to have an idea of how you uniquely need to be loved? Or do you even say that? Oh, yeah, I definitely say it. We, I bought this deck. It's called the Vulnerability Deck. Okay. It's from this website called The People I've Loved. 
shout out to them it's amazing it has 52 vulnerability prompts okay where you can just pull cards and ask deep questions that you might not think you need the answers to mm -hmm. so like at least once a week or once every few days we sit down and we pull a card and one card can lead you to a six hour conversation mm. there's one card that asks like tell me about your reoccurring dreams tell me about the nightmares that you have tell me like just things like that that get us talking and then it might pivot from sharing information to sharing traumas to sharing triggers. Mm. Just the other day, um, we were having a conversation about our trigger words okay. because, you know, everything with us is still new. So I'm like, what are your trigger words that if anybody says to you, it triggers you? And we, we have those conversations. So just building that friendship with someone to know I really, really want to be super close with you. And I want you to know me on these levels of why I am the way I am. So you just got to go through the process of learning that about me. And when you give that information, is it more so a matter of like your true north? Would you like him to try to figure out like if you was to tell your partner or if you already told him that you struggle with the chosen thing and mm -hmm. all the way back to your childhood? Mm -hmm. Do you give that information and just leave it to him to figure out how to accommodate that? Or do you feel comfortable in step by step, this is the type of way I need to be loved to help me heal this wound? Oh, yes, I definitely tell him. Like, okay. I need words of affirmation because okay. yeah. <laughs> his love language is quality time. Mm -hmm. So he's like, we don't have to talk. If you just come over and you sit in the room and I sit in the room, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to feel right. love. Yeah, that's like, us. <laughs> I need the verbal. I need right. words of affirmation. I need you to remind me because if you don't tell me, I'm going to forget. Right. <laughs> I'm going to forget. You better, keep, you better keep reminding me that you love me. You better keep telling me. So also being patient, he's super patient with me doing the work that I have to do. Mm -hmm and doing it next to him mm -hmm. it's not like i can't do this work for you and i know you're still a work in progress but i'm here while you're doing the work mm. so what are you doing to make yourself feel assured mm. that you won't need me to constantly reassure you absolutely you don't need me to love you from a place of my insecurities i need to i need you need me to love you in a way that you know you're loved but if you're not doing the work yourself it's nothing i can right. do to make you feel at right. so i just try to be mindful of the work that i'm still doing mm. as i'm next to him doing it Mm. And um, I, I, I also wanted to ask you, um, and I know you said it in jest, I know you said it jokingly, um, and being somebody in your position, you're an extremely powerful woman, person, being, um, it was a certain point where we was on a panel and you was telling a story and you was like, because I'm a whore, I'm a, right? <laughs> yeah. And I knew you was joking, I knew it was jest, and to a certain degree, I know you probably don't look at yourself like that on a conscious level, mm -hmm. but there stages to the mind we got the conscious functioning Absolutely. the subconscious and the unconscious so how do you look at yourself because i was just reading about something called narrative coherence and it kind of ties into you talking about the narratives the stories that we hold of ourselves when we've experienced a lot of trauma we kind of speed up and slow down at the same time the speed up aspect is because we tend to remember the pockets of trauma more than we do the actual happiness. We have like happiness amnesia. Absolutely. So your, your life ends up in this plot of blotches, right? And to accommodate for that, we tend to slow down our approach to how we actually, you know, give ourselves to healing the trauma. So with that being said, we have all these different versions of ourselves that we continue to shed, but being that our, our plot is so spaced out, we may be holding on to subconsciously or unconsciously the phase of 15 to 19, mm -hmm. the phase of 25 to 30, when I was really in my whole bag. So how do you, you see yourself at this point? Because when you said that, that's not what I saw on that stage. <laughs> yeah, agree. So um, I see myself as very sexually liberated. Yeah. Like, 
I had sex with him before we ever went out. Mm -hmm. We had sex like on the first day of meeting each the, other. The new dude. The new dude. Yeah. And then I told him like, we're like the same person. So okay. it was like, yo, we need to see if we're sexually compatible. Okay. We had sex within, like literally we met and 10 minutes later we were having okay. sex. <laughs> was that the, uh, the viral? <laughs> that was the viral. <laughs> so that was real. Okay. That was real. That was real. So it was Heard like, I can't, I can't not label myself something like, it's kind of like if the shoe fits, but I also have never had sex from a void. Right. I have never had sex from a place of, I want to have sex to get this. And I think because I only have sex when I really want to have sex, I just think of myself as sexually liberated. Gotcha. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm trying to have sex for love. I'm not trying to have sex for revenge. I'm not trying to have sex for pity or relationships. I Before I had sex with him, I hadn't had sex in like seven, yeah. eight, nine months. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, I have my whorish ways, but now it's like I'm a whore with my partner. Gotcha. You can't, you can't, you can't think of yourself as just this modest angel and you having sex with a stranger. Right. I did not, I did not know his last name when I wow. had sex with him. How, <laughs> Go ahead. how much of your sexual experiences do you think stem from trauma responses from your childhood? You mentioning being a third child, um, not really feeling seen, which also translates to not feeling seen, heard, acknowledged wanted, desired, chosen, or loved, which would typically make a person choose to find ways, getting Fs on the credit card, on your uh, report card, finding ways to show up to receive that love, to receive that attention, to be seen, to be chosen, to be wanted. How much of that aspect of your childhood do you think manifested and bled into your sexual experiences so you could receive what you didn't get when you were a child? Um, I don't know. For me, it just feels more physical than emotional because I've slept with guys that I didn't want relationships with. Um, I do think I have like periods of time where I'm borderline physical, physical, physical. And that's when I stop myself and I take my hiatuses and breaks mm. and I'm like unpacking, why are you so horny this time? Right. You know what I mean? Does that ever lead you back to what you didn't receive? Because the idea of being able to stop it and be conscious of it, when you unpack it, it always has a root. Mm -hmm. Like you're not just horny to be horny. You don't just, no one has sex just to have sex. The sensation, the, the muscle memory of the void, the muscle memory of the wound, the muscle memory of the trauma is typically what stirs up the thought process to even go and do it. Simply because like, I tell a lot of people that we only use 5% of our conscious mind. Mm. So that means everything you think, do, feel, say, how you respond is a conscious choice. 95% of that is an unconscious choice. And that 95% of your unconscious mind comes from what you experienced from the time you were zero to 13 years old. So if you experience not feeling wanted, desired, chosen, seen, heard, acknowledged from the time you were zero to 13, then whenever you do feel a sensation to be horny, nine times out of 10, it's the 95% mm. that's going into the unconscious mind mm. that's saying, how do I rectify this feeling? Because that, that childhood wound, even if we're conscious of it or not, is coming up. I, I can agree to some extent, but for the most part, it's like, it be physical. It be it be physical for most of the part. It's not like I'm gonna go and have sex with this man because it's gonna make me feel wanted or loved. 
I'm going to go, because if, if that was the case, I would want more. And there's a lot of the times mm. where I don't want more. I, I just, I really like, it feels very good. Like, I, know, <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know it sounds crazy, but um, in, the, in the instance of when I do feel like I need to have sex to fill a void, I don't have sex. Got you. When I'm in that space of saying, oh my God, I'm lonely, I don't have sex. Right. When I'm in that space of saying, man, I feel hurt by this man, I don't have sex. So when I feel those voids rearing their head, that's when I'm taking myself out of the pool. But when I'm going, oh man, I'm about to go outside, that's when I'm feeling the best of all myself. That's when, I'm, that's when I feel like I've conquered those things because I can have sex and just enjoy it as an activity as opposed to doing it to feel something else that I'm not getting from myself or from my past. Whenever, whenever I feel those childhood feelings surfacing, those are the periods of time where I'm just not gonna do it. Gotcha. Because I don't want sex to mean anything but sex in those spaces. Um, and then energy is you know, not created nor destroyed, it's transferred. And men can feel that when you're passing that to them. And that's how the attachment comes. It's like, are you really a love or are you an attachment? So mm. because I don't want to get in attachment with anybody, whenever, whenever I'm dealing with those wounds, those are the periods of time where I'm just not dealing with anyone. When I am in those spaces of, yo, I want to go sleep around, that's when I'm like, I've done enough work to conquer that and be able to just enjoy it as a physical activity. Right. Are there ever times where you're not conscious of it? No. <laughs> um, just because when I was younger, it would be like, oh, my heart is broken. And then the first guy that's coming up to me being nice, oh, my gosh, he might be the one. Mm. And then I sleep with him, it would go bad. So I just be super mindful now. Like I joke a lot about how much I have sex, but I don't have sex as much. I might have sex fast when I do have sex, but I don't have sex. <laughs> when I do have sex, it's going to happen quick. But most of the time, no, it's not like just just doing it because I need to feel something because I want to make sure that I'm always doing a work. I want to make sure that I'm not distracting myself with sex. And I don't ever want to use sex as a distraction to the wounds that I need to heal. Um, yeah, before I met um, the guy that I'm dealing with now, I was I was months of going, man, I really need some D. But you said I, you was like seven, eight months in, right? Yeah, yeah, but I knew that I had to continue to do work. I had to conquer the difference between loneliness and solitude. I, I knew that I couldn't have sex until I wasn't lonely. Mm. Because if I have sex while I'm lonely, then you're just going to be here to fill that void. So I did the work and I stayed by myself despite me wanting to go outside so that when I met him, it was kind of like, I know that I'm ready. Right. I know I that prepared for this. I'm prepared yeah, for this. No doubt. <laughs> and let me ask you too, with that being said, because there's probably a lot of women that will see this and that watch your content in general that may be in one of those phases where they realize I need to step back and get myself right. Mm -hmm. So um, I did a year of celibacy. Uh, Part of what like really leveled me up um, before meditation teacher and counselor and meeting my wife and all this beautiful stuff I've been able to experience now. Like that was the first crux of it, me mm. scaling back my energy. And whenever I would say that um, at an event, teaching, whatever it was, the woman would be like, well, I did 10 years. So I did 15 years or whatever it may be. I say, but you masturbated, right? <laughs> Whole different ball game, right? I didn't release any... Um, I didn't climax in any way, whether with myself or somebody else, but I understood that when men uh, release, we deplete certain levels of energy. Right. That doesn't really happen to women, mm -hmm. right? So my question is this, for a woman that may be in a, a drought, a self-inflicted drought to try to level up, 
What's your approach with masturbation? For you, did it make you more horny when you would do it? Did you did it give you more uh, space in between being able to go without sex? What was your relationship with, with, um, with masturbation like? So this last journey of not having sex, anytime I would masturbate, I would cry. Mm. Because I realized that the void that I'm trying to avoid going to men to fill is no different than watching mm. porn and trying to get myself to fill it. So I had to just stop everything. Mm. Like I had to stop masturbating. I had to stop doing everything because that still counts as trying to fill a void. Mm. If I'm going to take sex off the table and not use sex as a way to fill this void, then I can't have sex with myself either because you sitting wow. there masturbating when you need to cry. Wow. You sitting there masturbating when you need to go talk to somebody. So. It would be times where I'm just trying and I'm trying to get that one off. And then I'm just like breaking down crying. So I had to just stop because I'm like, this ain't what you need. You don't need this orgasm right now. It's something that you need that you're not getting. You have to stop. And I really had to stop. This was the first time because I've been I've been celibate for many periods yeah, of time no prior to this last time. I only, I only slept around for like two, three months. But before that, it was another seven right. months. When I turned 30, I stopped having sex and I moved to Houston. So that time I was masturbating and everything was fine. But this time it was like, no, 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 no. You need to just, you need to just focus up and stop trying to, stop trying to use them orgasms to distract it, what you need to work on. So what was that when you cry and you masturbate, but there's also an acknowledged wound that's present what is that wound? What is that void? And where does it stem from? Um, this time, it really stemmed from that feeling of being a flower that is loved but not picked. I felt like men love me and my friendship, but that feeling of a man never loving you romantically, it messed with me, right? Because mm. I, I have so many men that would do anything for me as a friend but I couldn't bridge the gap of getting romantic love. And I just was like, mm. I started I started questioning myself because I know that the women that they're choosing are much more softer and feminine. So I started thinking like, is something wrong with me because I am too masculine to get the type of man that I want? Um, I thought like, I thought like I'm never gonna get it for a while, but then I just, I had to really fall in love with me because how am I supposed to want somebody to love the things about me that I'm questioning? How am I supposed to get somebody to fall in love with the things about me that I'm unsure about once I spent all of that time alone to realize, okay, well, those guys you chose didn't love this about you, but I really love this about myself. I really, really love this about myself and I don't want to change it to get what I think that I want. So I'm not going to compromise and I'm not going to change it. And I'm going to keep loving those things about myself because I'm eventually going to run into somebody that loves that as well. And I'm so happy I did because that's his favorite parts about me. Mm -hmm. My energy and my aggressiveness and my 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 dude ways. It's like his favorite parts about mm -hmm. me. And I was so close to changing that. Mm -hmm. I was so close to conforming to be what the men that I wanted. And then I really was like, do I have a problem with this or did they? Because if I really love this, I don't want to lose that. I don't want to change this about myself. So I'm going to stay by myself until I know that you cannot internalize not being chosen. It's not me that they're not choosing. It's this thing. But I love this thing. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep loving this thing until somebody else loves it too. So that void that would come up when you were masturbate would lead back to the root of not feeling chosen, mm -hmm. which was the root of not feeling chosen when you were younger. Mm -hmm. How 
did you begin to start your relationship with self-love a lot you know Everybody on Instagram is like, <laughs> you know, soft life this and soft life that. And, you know, they their definition of self-love is the things that are happening in their external world. Mm-hmm. And what's happening is, for instance, what happened with you, it sounds like, is that in a child that did not feel seen, heard, loved, acknowledged when she was younger because she was the third child. Third daughter. Third daughter. Right. So mm-hmm. third daughter. When you went to go masturbate and you cried, the inner, jo- inner child showed up and said, that's not what I'm asking you for. Mm. That's not what I need wow. from you. I need you to love wow. me. I need you to see me. I need you to do other things that don't involve a sexual experience. So your inner child showed up in that moment and cried because basically it was saying, I need something deeper. Mm. Mm-hmm. So how did you start your process of going deeper? Um. I spent a lot of time talking to to people from my childhood because I remember there was a period of time where I tried to blame everything on my ex, my daughter's father. And then a friend who knew me before him was like, "Mm, I don't think you can blame him because I knew you before him and you were kind of still (laughs) dealing with the same things. Mm. When we were, when we were 14, 15 years old, you were dealing with the same thing. It's like, who asked you? Who asked you that? And I was like, let me blame. Let me me shift this to who I think is for. And he's like, You give it you giving this person the wrong the wrong smoke. And then once me and him sat down and had that conversation and I realized like um my issue with my childhood wasn't just not feeling chosen. When you see somebody not doing something, then you think, okay, maybe they're not capable of doing it. But when you see somebody doing something for everyone but you that they're willing, yeah. It's like you're willing to yeah. do this for everybody, you're just not doing no, it for no. me. So growing up, it wasn't just that it wasn't done for me. It was that I had to see it get done for my sisters. So I'm watching y'all do it. I was having, I remember I was having this conversation. We, I was in a car with my mom. We was having a heart to heart. And she was saying how, oh, my dad bought my um, sister a bedroom set, right? With the headboard and the dresses and the, and the, and the wardrobes and everything. So that she bought my other sister a canopy bed with a huge dresser with mahogany and mirrors. And I was like, you know, that's so interesting because while y'all were doing for y'all other daughters, my bed was on crates. Mm. My bed was on crates. Y'all didn't even realize. Mm. And my mom just, she got so emotional because she's just like, you were just so quiet, like, and you wouldn't come and ask for it that I didn't, you know what I mean? So I'm like, y'all were, y'all are so vocal about how hard y'all went for y'all kids in a sense. And I was really like, neglected in a way. I remember, I don't know if this is TMI for your podcast, but um, I had a suicide attempt when I was 14 years old. And my family came and they rushed me to the hospital. And then I remember the doctors coming into the room telling me like I was going to have to start therapy and all of these things because I was just like crying out to be Mm -hmm. seen. And everybody's life just went on back to normal. Like, mm. I got out the hospital, and everybody was like, all right, she's home. Mm. Not, a, not a parent came to talk to me. Were you waiting for that? I was. I thought, I thought like, okay, they're going to see something deep is mm. happening. They're going to they're gonna acknowledge all of these things around me that are spiraling, like, from childhood things that I never spoke to them about and things that were happening to me inside and outside the home. And I thought, like, after this attempt and when I made it, the shift is going to happen, and they're going to do something. They're going to get me help. And it just went back to normal. Mm. Nobody, no, there was no family meeting. There was no, okay, what can we do to help? So then at that moment, I realized if you don't help you, 
then you're not going to get help. You're going to keep longing for someone else to come and save you and you have to save yourself. Like that, that it's a sad feeling to say, but nobody's coming to save you. Right. You're, you're a little girl. I was 14. Nobody was coming to save me. So I had to, I had to sit there, no therapist, no counselor, no guidance. And it was just like, what can you do to not go back in the hospital care? Cause you do want to be here, hmm. but you don't want to be here and be invisible. You do want to be here, but you don't want to be here and be ignored. So what can you do to feel heard? And that's how I started writing. My mm. first book I wrote as a teenager and the first poem in that book is called Suicidal. And I can remember as a child, I took that poem, I typed it up and I hung it on the walls in my house and nobody read it. I mm. hung it up. I hung it up. <laughs> Suicidal. And nobody read it. <laughs> and you know what? That's so interesting that you say that because it kind of ties into my experience with my dad that just happened. Um, I was watching a show called uh, Outer The Outer Banks. Yeah. And, you know, it's a show about treasure. It's a show about kids chasing treasure. It's a lot of danger involved. And my inner child loves that. <laughs> However, my dad was an alcoholic, so he wasn't present uh, growing up. Loved me to death, but he just was not present. The narrative that I ran with was, like I said, he chose alcohol over choosing me. Mm -hmm. And watching and i've come to this conclusion before it was just another layer of the healing starting to take place and and happening and you know the debris that's surface surfacing through the body so as i'm watching this um this movie the the fathers of the children that never showed up for their children basically put them in harm's way chased this treasure and didn't even care about their kids life or livelihood the fathers at the end of the show finally did something to honor their kids. And that looked like putting their lives in danger, actually losing their lives to protect their kids at the end. And so it really made me cry. It made me very, very emotional because had my dad had been present in my life, the things that I'm now able to heal, not heal, but help people in their healing process, the thousands of people that I've been able to touch, guide, have these deep, you know, healing experiences with, and ultimately it's my career, it's what I get paid for. Mm -hmm. None of that would have ever happened if my dad was present. Mm -hmm. And so to a certain degree, how I choose to perceive it is my dad's soul chose to be an absent father. He chose to not be present. He chose to sacrifice the life of having a, um, a relationship with his daughter. And he chose to sacrifice that because ultimately all souls get to choose. We get to choose our parents. We get to choose our journeys. We get to choose our childs and our tribulations. And my dad chose to sacrifice his life so I could end up being what I am today. So to so a certain degree, when you put up the post the poems that say suicidal and your parents don't see it, them seeing that may also negate who you get to become exactly. today. And so them looking past that give you an opportunity to cultivate the muscle of poetry, to cultivate the muscle of pain, because now that muscle of pain is actually a gift to other people who are able to relate to you because they experience that same pain. Absolutely. And that's a fundamental aspect of healing a lot of people overlook. Like I always say, we'll burn the sage, we'll go to the retreats, we wanna open our third eye, all this good stuff. 
But a lot of healing is about perspective. It's about vantage, seeing more of yourself, not necessarily fixing anything. Mm -hmm. Because a version that you may have looked at that situation like that was broken. Now you realize that was a tool, that was a wrench to open up this new portal of yourself. So there, it's almost like the, the carrot at the end of the string. When you are doing a certain level of healing in any aspect of your life, there needs to be some type of vantage switch. There needs to be some type of perspective that's going to change. And how you saw the BS that you went through and God not liking you and the world ain't SHIT or whatever it is, you start to realize like, yo, hold up. I needed that. Mm -hmm. If I don't get that, I don't get to this point. And then you're able to appreciate the pain as well. And then at that point, you don't even uh, char characterize it as just pain. It's just something you had to go through. Um, there was also something you talked about. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a poem or just one of your posts. I think it was one of your posts. And you said, um, you like what you know about him. Mm. You don't know him enough to like him yet. Mm -hmm. Right. My best friend Cito said that to me when I first met my partner. I was going like this. This is crazy because I, I love slow. I might I might sleep with someone fast, mm -hmm. but I love real slow. Mm -hmm. And from day one, I was kind of like, oh, my what God, do you I mean by that? Him. Like, oh, OK, I got you. I got you. Yeah. So I, I don't I don't differentiate sex and love. So I, I, even if I sleep with someone fast, it's going to take me a while to say I to, love to this fall person. in love with them. No but doubt. from day one, I was just like, oh, my God, this is it. Right. I love him. Right. And he was like, <laughs> you need to chill. Like four days in, I was right. planning my futures with this man. And I was telling him, like, no, because I really like him. And my best friend stopped me and said, you don't like him. You like what you know about him. Mm. You don't know him well enough to like him. Because in, in, in order to say that you, you love something or like something, you have to know it. Right. You can't, you can't love the unknown. You love the surface. Right. You love what it looks like. Right. So, yeah. So with that being said, uh, the question I wanted to ask and something I give to a lot of my female uh, counseling clients, when we talk about their vetting process mm -hmm. and the necessary yeah. questions that need to be asked, one, <laughs> one of the ones I always suggest, right? Whatever end of the spectrum you may be on, if, if it's a first date or you wait six months, it don't matter. But at a certain point, women do need to hear from men. What are you doing to control your D, right? What, ha what regimen are you on to be able to have a certain level of balance with that? Because, you know, you're single, you do what you want. But once we're in a relationship, you need the capacity for loyalty. Mm -hmm. A woman could want a man to be loyal all day, every day. But what does his regiment look like to establish that and to maintain that? So that's one of the necessary questions for me. To your female audience, to those that may be watching right now, what are some of the necessary questions you would suggest them asking a man that they're first getting to know? Okay, so this guy I didn't vet properly, I'm not mm -hmm. gonna lie, because <laughs> I slept with him as soon as I met him. But moving forward, um, I would say I would ask a man, how has your childhood affected the way that you love? Mm. What, what healthy representations of love have you witnessed? Um, how, how did your last serious breakup affect your viewpoint mm, on trust and getting fine. into serious relationships moving forward because i think that's a, a huge problem that we we deal with a little bit because it's like if the last woman made you feel like i don't want to be serious with right. anyone again so i would i would ask that um yeah just just things about their representation of love. like what what is love to you right what is what does love look like to you what does what does loving look like to you what does being loved look like to you right so, yeah, I, I would say I ask those questions to to find out if we're even compatible in a way that we love or think love is. Same question to you, Candice. <laughs> <laughs> what are the necessary right. questions okay. in, yeah, gotcha. in vetting? So, honestly, before I ask 
you, mm-hmm. them, <laughs> anything, <clears throat> because I know that your response is a calculated response. Mm. The ego needs you to show up the best way that you can so you can get the desired no outcome. Doubt. So I don't need to hear nothing from you right. starting off. Right. Um, initially, my vetting process is having a deep conversation with the soul. And the reason why this is important is because quantum entanglement, mm-hmm. which is what made us, you know, attracted to at least the conversation right. of each other. And quantum entanglement <clears throat> just reflects that everything is connected on the the opposite ends of the universe, the the infinite space that all things, whether it's plants, whether it's energy, whether it's the fashion, the body, everything is directly connected and everything directly communicates. So I don't have to use words or hear your words to understand what your intentions are. Mm-hmm. I don't have to use or hear your words to understand how you're going to treat me. Everything in my body is directly designed to feel into what everything in your body feels so whatever the trauma is that you're holding on to whatever the wounds the voice that you're holding on to people love to say i'm an empath and really what that means is the body's job is to receive are you a safe environment or not because my body is designed just to protect me and keep me safe Mm -hmm. so every part of my being is designed to dissect is this a safe environment Mm -hmm. is this a safe person is this someone i can open up to so my first conversation is a conversation with the soul why are you here Mm -hmm. what did you come here to teach me what lessons will you drop off what messages will be hidden underneath your pain? Mm. The pain that you cause, the pain that I feel as a byproduct of being in a relationship with you. What triggers will you make it so clear that I have to go back, heal, grow, and acknowledge? Mm. And also, what type of mirror are you going to hold up to me? How are you going to help me see myself? Because my intention in relationships, once I had some sense, <laughs> was never about the relationship. Once I started my journey, I could care less if I was in a relationship because my only priority was spiritual healing, emotional healing. That is the foundation of everything that I do. So if my relationship with you doesn't show me more of me, then that's not a relationship that I have to enter. So my first conversation is trying to figure out what the soul's intention is. And do you have the capacity to show me myself to love me from a place of love and peace and harmony? Or is your method of showing love and being a conduit to my healing and my growth uh, a method of pain, sorrow, things that I don't want to to experience right. and so i acknowledge that i get to choose how i want to receive love mm-hmm. from a place of pain i get to choose how i want to receive my lessons from a place of pain or from a place of love and peace and so these are the conversations that i'm having with the soul i feel like that is the priority before i say anything to the person and with both aspects of y'all answering that question especially with what you were saying you still vetted though you still are vetting yeah. And a lot of people, when they get to the point where sex is already had, it's like, okay, all the, the, the walls, the boundaries, the effort we put into continuing to learn somebody to see if 
they match with our heart. Because like mm -hmm. you said, you could have sex, you a little slower to that point, like I actually love this person. Mm -hmm. That happened a little quicker this time with your mm -hmm. current partner. Mm -hmm. But that vetting process still needs to continue, even if you're somebody that's going to sleep with um, a potential mate the first night, right. the vetting these questions still need to continue to be had. Like you said, the game y'all play and the questions y'all continue to dig in, just because we have sex don't mean that need don't to stop. So the vetting stop. still has to happen on a heart level. Um, and I also wanted to ask you about, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to uh, to speak. Of, well, you did say it in the podcast, so I guess I'm, I'm allowed. You got a project coming soon that you're working on, a documentary, right, called Closure. Oh, Can yeah. Can we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> yes. Just describe the, the concept real quick. So basically, I've, I've gone through and I've had discussions with a few of my exes, um, asking them what it was like to be with me, how was their experience with me, because I feel like sometimes That's we, have, fire. A, I love we that. have a flawed view of who we are and how we are received. Yeah. So I just asked them, like, you know, like, what was, what was your favorite thing about me? What was your worst thing about me? What do you think I can improve? And everyone's answers were so different. I was like, I need to make this a documentary where um, I interview you guys and I get to give you guys perspective on who I was so I can have the closure and then step into who I am now. Good job. Because ultimately, people from your past cannot speak on who you are. They can only speak on who you used to be. Mm. Um, none of y'all really know me, but y'all knew me. And th those are pieces of me that still sit with me mm. that I, you might know me in a way that I don't know me. Right. Because I've never experienced myself romantically. So just these conversations with them is the closure documentary to... Um, yeah, just find out how I love so I can love better. And even if y'all haven't actually started filming yet, you've already been having these conversations. Yeah, I've been having these conversations. Um, what's like the most glaring, what's the most powerful thing you've learned about yourself via one of these conversations with your exes? I am controlling mm. every single ex. <laughs> there was not one of them that that was not their first answer. Right. Mm. They all say, oh my God, you're so supportive. <laughs> you are so supportive. You are light. You are my inspiration. You are focused. You are determined. But I am so controlling. And that controllingness come from pressure, the pressure I put on them to get what I want in the timeline that I want it. Um, it's not like do what I say controlling. It's like manipulation controlling. So I'm like, there's times where you view me as this nurturing, supportive partner, but I was only being that so I could get something from you. Mm. That's all control. That's all Facts. me trying to, trying to mind F these guys. Oh, if I do this nice thing, then he's going to make me his girlfriend. If I do this nice thing, he's going to show up there. So in learning how manipulative and controlling I was, I had to examine, okay, every time you do something nice for a man, where is it coming from? Is it coming from a place of you wanting something? Mm. You're trying to fill that void with this, yeah. with this transactionalness? Or do you genuinely want to do it? I only pour from a place of wanting to pour now. I don't pour from a place of trying to fill thirst. Mm. I don't pour from a place of any anything coming out of my cup. These men only get my surplus now. Mm. You don't get what I don't have to spare. But yeah, I was every man. That was like their only complaint. Because it's like you don't cheat. You don't belittle, you encourage, you uplift, you this, you that, but you are controlling. Mm. Like, thing, if you set your mind and say, this is what <laughs> it's going to be, I, I, a man once told me, he said, the issue with us is I walked into a relationship that you was already in before me. Mm. <laughs> he <laughs> says, powerful. I met you, I met you, and you had already planned for us 
months before we even discussed what we was going to be. So that, that, that energy of you, you map out your career and you can map out your goals and your plans, right. but you can't do that in relationship. Right. It has to flow Absolutely. because I was so controlling. It's like when I, when I meet you, you have this set idea in your mind of how things are going to be. And instead of allowing it to be, you try to force it to be the way you envisioned it in your head. So I had yeah. to unlearn that for real. It's it's good that you, one, that they pointed it out to you. All First of, of all, <laughs> it's great that you had the idea to create something as perfect as this is. That's fire. I love that. And then secondly, that they had enough courage to tell you that aspect because the the aspect of control, and it's so important to speak about that, is the average person is controlling. And it's not just for the sake of controlling. And the average person is transactional in their relationship with any person. Mm -hmm. And this stems from a childhood of not having control. It stems from that root of not having control over your environments, not feeling safe in your environments, protecting in your environments, or um, feeling like there was no stability in your environment, stability in emotion, parents, all of those things lead to an adult trying to figure out how to control and that control stems from also just not feeling safe mm -hmm. right that fear of if I don't control this to where it comes and is you know exactly how I want it to be so I can minimize the opportunity of me being hurt my feelings being hurt, me being triggered, me being angry. This is what the inner child is doing and how the inner child is showing up so she can protect herself or he can protect himself. So I thought that was really beautiful. But one of the things that you wrote in one of your books, uh, it says, I articulate a broken heart so well. It's the greatest inspiration for my writing. If only you knew I'd give up all the talent I possess to live in a day that I don't have that I have nothing sad to write about. Mm. I thought that was really beautiful because there is a necessary time to speak about painful moments. Obviously, you have to go back to your trauma to actually heal your trauma. And then there becomes a point to where when we speak about pain so much, when we speak about things that have harmed us so much, we become addicted mm -hmm. to speaking about those things. Right. And it validates the story that we're not willing to change. So now closure, right, means that I'm on the other end of talking about sad, S-H-I-T, all the time as my main narrative. Mm -hmm. So where are you now in regards to your writing and how it's reflecting maybe the spaces that you're in now? Is there happiness now? Is there joy now? Is there mm -hmm. more peace now? How does your writing reflect that? So in the beginning, my writing was all expressive. That's the basis of naked, just being emotionally exposed and vulnerable. There's no advice in there because I didn't know much about nothing. I was a teenager. So I started off just talking, 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 talking. And then as I moved on into more books, it was about blame. It was about, oh, my God, this is what he did to me. And this is what happened with us. So now I'm at the point now with my latest book, The Side Effects of Heartbreak. Um, it's about accountability. I'm more accountable for the roles I've played and the things that I've done to get myself in these situations. And the point I'm at now with my writing and my career is um, learning that everything has duality. And just because you're sad on Monday doesn't Facts. mean you can't be happy on Tuesday. Facts. Absolutely. And I don't have to be 
the toxic girls motivator. I don't have mm. to be the happy relationship girls mm. motivator. Like people have told me like, yo, I really miss toxic Kara. <laughs> like, cause I'm funny when I'm toxic. So I think that being with my um, partner now, he allows me the space to still express whatever ratchet thought is on my head. But bring it, bring it full circle, baby. Yeah. Bring it back because you where deserve you are now. that. Because you, you don't have to stay in that space right. of talking about how these men had you effed up. Because I spoil you, you. Right, right, You cannot relate anymore. I know that's right. Yeah, you can, you can, you can talk all that toxic stuff. Like I went on Twitter the other day. What happens is sometimes I'll get on Twitter and I see an old tweet is getting liked a lot. Got you. And I'll retweet it. Right. And he's like, "What you retweeting that for? (laughs) You don't relate to that no more. What you still? We we out of that space. Like you can't even relate to that girl that was in that space. Mm. Stop sitting in that space. And I'm like, you're right. I just was sharing it because you know they. And I always tell people, look." at the dates yeah, i keep yep. the dates on my Shit tweets that. because i don't want you to think in 2023 that i'm giving y'all 2020s exp- experiences right. and opinions so now that i am in a healthy relationship it's like being mindful that i don't owe anyone my pain i don't owe you to see me crying so you can feel more connected if you need that i got books for you mm. you can go back to where i was when Listen. i was there but i don't owe you to sit in this feeling i owe it to me to finally get loved correctly i owe it to me to get loved out loud and share my joy out loud and show us girls who have been through pain for so many years that it don't stay that way the minute that i rejected it and i started saying i don't want this no more my final book is called The Side Effects of Heartbreak because I had to go through all the chapters of, okay, so Breaking Point and Healing Point was breaking out of toxic relationships and habits, and Healing Point was the healing that you did once you was out. And I had to learn that even if I got over that man, that doesn't mean I was over the side effects that they left me with. Absolutely. So the side effects of heartbreak is just diving through all of those things that I had to heal and work on, but eventually being done with it. The mm. goal is not to to vent forever is to heal from what you vented about. I don't want to have anything in common with myself five years from now. I don't, I don't sit, I don't want to sit at 31 and look at 21 year old Kara and say, same. I want to constantly see my growth and elevation. So I think that I had to lose my relationship with my platform a little bit when I, when I lost my page, cause you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. My platform got up to 200,000 followers. Mm-hmm. I saw that. And when it got deleted, I had just turned 30. Like it got deleted mm. on my 30th birthday. <laughs> and I was just like, what is this lesson? Like, why did my platform, why did I just lose this platform? You was about to give up at first too, I right? was, I was, I was not going to get back online. I thought maybe I'm supposed to pivot and go in another direction. But it was just like, when I came back, I knew I couldn't come back the same. Mm. Because it's a reason that it got deleted out of nowhere. Right. 200,000 <laughs> people was tapped in with my pain. So that's mm. so much energy that's committed to me crying. That's so much people that are committed to my horrible experiences and breakups and heartbreak. So I had to rebuild an entire new community of over 100,000 followers. And if you notice, I've separated the pages yeah. now. Mm-hmm. I still have 200,000 followers, but 100,000 people are on my quote page and 100,000 people are tapped in with right. my, ev- my evolution page with my poetry and my healing journey now. So it's just... Being able to hold on to pieces of yourself, but still accepting the new versions of you. And not to, not to rant too much, but no, I was having on. this conversation with AJ 
um, I told him, I was like, parts of me feel like I'm scared to change. Like, I don't want to change into a version of me I don't recognize because I love myself. I'm committed to, oh, Kira's so funny and whole shit and ratchet, da da da. Um, I didn't want to lose those pieces of me. So I told him, like, I hold back on my growth sometimes because I'm afraid to change. Mm. And, and AJ said, you keep saying change and it's not change, it's just growth. Because in order for you to change, somebody would have to go into your dirt and dig up a seed and put a new seed in. What's happening is that, that seed is still you. It's just going to get watered. Absolutely. And then when you, when you water up and then you grow, you're going to be repotted and replanted. And you're just going to be you, but right. you're going to be bigger. Right. So stop, stop fighting that change that you feel like is coming and acknowledge that it's just you, but you are growing now. And I think that that's what was... Um, that's probably what was holding me back for so long because I didn't want to be different. Hmm. It's not that you're going to be different. You're just going to be better. Right. Yeah. I wanted to come back a little bit to the closure documentary. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming with the control thing that was coming up, right, mm -hmm. from the brothers, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that they were a lot more forthright and comfortable in telling you in these conversations when y'all not together mm -hmm. than they actually were in the relationship. Is that oh, correct? No, they, they told me. They told I just, I didn't, I didn't have any accountability. Okay. So you didn't have the ears to it, hear them. I didn't have the ears okay. to hear them. Yeah. So with that being said, you also talked about um, people who prefer their truth raw mm -hmm. or with sugar right mm -hmm. are you somebody that prefers raw sugar or and or both and on top of that how would you suggest to men to sense to know when it's time to give either to their lady that's a great question i i need all my sugar i need domino yeah. i need stevia <laughs> I, need, cane sugar. I need cane sugar brown sugar sweet i need all the sugar brown sugar babe because i am such a sensitive person yeah I can be triggered easily. Gotcha. And I, because I am also an intuitive person, I can acknowledge, okay, this is not you. This is me being triggered. Mm. So I just try to be mindful of anybody who loves me to talk to me in a way that it might not trigger me. Not saying maneuver around my triggers, but mm. for example, if I'm getting big, don't ever come up to me and say, damn, you fat. Come up to me and say, hey, you want to go to the gym? Right. You want to work out? Right. I'm going to take what you're saying, but I'm not going to feel attacked. And I feel like sometimes we can receive the message better if, if I don't have to become defensive and you telling it to me. Mm. So my advice for men is timing. Does this need to be said? Does this need to be said by right me? Yeah. Does this need to be said by me right now? Right now. Yeah. When you and when you say, <laughs> does this need to be said by me right now? Or does this need to be said by me? Then you can you can avoid a lot of arguments because I still need to hear it. Yeah. I still need to lose the weight. Yeah. But how am I going to lose the weight in a space of feeling safe enough to do so without feeling like you coming at me? Because I'm a New Yorker. Like who are you talking to? Like right. <laughs> I love that because it's it's necessary. One, it is a method of love right it's a method of how you protect somebody it's a method of how you provide for someone how you deliver your message and people will always say don't focus so much on the messenger or how the message was delivered right. just focus on the message and now nah, I, I do all i need to focus on the messenger what was your intent under that message because i feel all of that and i learned with my husband um there may be certain things that i feel or that I want to express, especially when we're having uncomfortable conversations. My husband and I don't really have like arguments like that, but we will have uncomfortable conversations that we have more than enough capacity to maneuver through. But I am aware how certain things can make a person feel. Absolutely. So I make sure when speaking to him that I use specific language 
to disarm him before he mm-hmm. even has the opportunity to put armor on mm-hmm. because in his past relationships he had to defend himself mm-hmm. they were always like you did this you did that you didn't do this you never do that and so I had to be mindful of certain language when it's like where well, you never do that never takes over the whole conversation and now he has to defend himself like well I did this two weeks ago you know or making his point proven so being mindful of the words matter Mm -hmm. and then also when a person has to defend themselves the conversation is over Mm -hmm. now they've put on armor now they've had to protect themselves and now it's time to fight. Right. <laughs> so the purpose of the conversation does, doesn't even happen the way that it's supposed to. Right. And so that has been one of the most beautiful. What you smiling for? Because- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are smiling. What you smiling for? I'm, I'm thinking about uh, one of the uncomfortable moments we had right right there on that couch. Absolutely. You know I thought about that too. Because since, since you brought up weight. Um, but the only reason I'm saying this is hopefully the men that's watching this can understand why it's important to find a way, whether it's the truth the raw truth, the um, the sugar coated, whatever it is, you gotta find a way to get it across to your lady for both of y'all's benefit. But um, you did a, you was planning on doing a thirty three day fast. I had already did it. You had this seventeen, right, and stopped at seventeen. Yeah, no, I stopped at twenty. You stopped at twenty, right? So you started to do your fast when I met you. You ain't eat no food. You was literally just juicing, and like we've talked about in previous episodes, you lost over sixty pounds since we've been together. Yeah, largely due to emotional weight. You actually talked about that in one of your poems that I watched too. Um, but with that being said, you was in a phase where your healing had to be extreme, right? At this point, where you did this particular fast you were kind of unconsciously coming out of that space where you need to, to do these elongated, forceful, extreme fasts. Right. So it was a point where you had lost um, a certain amount of weight in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I had just moved down here and we just sitting vibing. And I don't even remember why it came up in that moment or how I even brought it up. I think we was, we was already talking about like, you had, cause you had just got here and we were talking about, um, you know, our sexual experience right. because at that time we weren't having like sex that right. often but it wasn't about necessarily sex it was just about like intimacy like right. we always are touching each other I'm always rubbing his head or something like that but him coming into the house I'm kind of like anxious as hell I'm like trying to make sure everything <laughs> is perfect and I ain't got time to rub you on your knee yeah, right. I just we had just came no back doubt. from the Nas concert no and stuff doubt. like that so I was just kind of like tense and you brought it to my attention that that was it and that kind of like flourished more into more right. of the uncomfortable and, conversation and, and when I initially brought up like initially it was about your safety Right, because I understood you was no longer in a space that you may not have seen yourself. And now if you do these elongated fast there's safety issues here, right? Because now you are a beautiful little bitty thing at this point as opposed to when you first started. <laughs> so if you lose a considerable <laughs> amount of weight, that's health stuff, let mm-hmm. alone me also interjecting that you were still beautiful in that moment, which I expressed. But I was trying to like advocate, I guess, for you know having to um, learn all these different versions of you physically throughout our relationship you've changed over and over and over again so when I was trying to express it you like of course it was uncomfortable right well what did you say I don't even remember the actual wording (laughs) it probably wasn't the best you remember Uh, no of course okay let's get it let's get it (laughs) it was it was basically like very soft my husband is a very loving man so (laughs) whatever he says is never gonna be forceful Um, so it was very soft and it was like 
am I allowed to say that I don't think it's best for you to lose more weight? Yeah, it was something yeah, yeah, like that. Right. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I remember saying, don't comment on my body. Don't comment right. on my weight. Don't comment sure on nothing. The whole feminism spill came out. Like, <laughs> And mind you, before I even said it, like, and this is the thing, men, we be feeling that, that angst in our chest and in our belly when we know we got to say something to our lady that could turn into something. Mm -hmm. But we was able to still sit there on that couch. Of course, the energy got a little heightened. But as we talked through the conversation, the thing that kind of broke the ice was you was like, it was my my delivery that you actually said should have been a little bit more abrupt. You said, you losing. You should just tell me I'm losing too much weight. I'm like, I feel like if I tell you that, you're going to chop my head off. Like, it, what are we talking about? It was so <laughs> funny because I had, I, I went to my mama house and I was like, <laughs> He kind of just said this to me. And she was like, well, you don't need to lose no more weight. <laughs> and then I thought about it. I was like, well, my mama been telling right. me every day for the past year, right. don't lose no more weight. And so when I when I finally got out of my emotions right. and being triggered, because the reason why I was triggered is it takes a lot to continuously evolve, Absolutely. continuously be a new person. Anybody that knows me, I don't look the same way that I looked five months ago, Facts. let alone last year. Right. Two years ago, five years ago, every year I literally look like a different person. And it is because my healing. But as other people are getting used to me healing and what that looks like, I am too. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I've been waiting to get down to this way yeah. since I was like 20. <laughs> and I'm finally here. Right. Yeah, granted, I look a little sick. But I had <laughs> I had just came off a juice fast. So right. was, I was rebuilding, you right. know, trying to get back. And so once I came to and came right. out of my feelings, I was like, next time, just say, don't lose no more weight. Which, to your point, right. is That's very abrupt. abrupt. Yeah. It's abrupt as hell. And so I guess like, it, it felt more like hearing what my mama says gotcha. because that doesn't sound I know that what she says always comes from a place of love right. and so hearing don't lose no more weight would have just sounded like my mama was gotcha. telling me don't lose no more weight right, it was but easier to receive it coming from mm. a language of someone that you love speaks absolutely yeah it was in that moment newer, right so right. you have to learn how he speaks his no doubt. well it, so in that moment like yeah. that particularly because she was always commenting on my weight not in crazy ways but just like you need to eat a hamburger she would say <laughs> stuff like that and so my husband i love how he speaks to me but for whatever reason in that moment her voice is would have it would have been more digestible mm. so I had to like just tell him like next time just say don't lose no more weight and it kind of is like ripping the band-aid off mm -hmm. like don't lose no more weight mean okay and then we ain't got to <laughs> talk about it no more but when it's like is it okay right. if I say I'm like wait do I feel do I feel a way about this I think I do right. feel a way about this I think my feelings are hurt right. I think I had a little bit too much time to sit with if my feelings was hurt and with that being said we about to wrap up I only got one more question but I do want to say the reason I even brought that up because from that conversation as uncomfortable as it may have been in the beginning of it it got to the point where you were able to realize I'm no longer that version of myself that needs to do yeah. these extreme fasts to maintain and stay healthy and you realize it's a completely different approach I need to take with my body yeah. had we not had that uncomfortable moment you may not have that epiphany mm. and this is why men yeah. gotta figure out what way works for your particular partner to get these uncomfortable truths out because this is another level of intimacy beyond just rubbing her back piping her down and having a nice valentine's date um date we got to be able to say these things to our lady this is intimacy yeah. too and that's one thing that 
you have been able to demonstrate in a very beautiful way is Thank you, baby. knowing when to yeah. tell me what I need to hear Timing. Timing. and yeah. how I need to hear it, mm -hmm. like you said. And there, particularly mine has been around things like food because I've had a very unbalanced relationship. I'm a Libra, so I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be all out. I'm either juicing or I'm eating uh Pizza. It is what it is. <laughs> and so having that ability to know your partner so well that you're able to love them in the way that they need to be loved, mm -hmm. not in the way that you are used to being loved. So, yeah, thank you for that, babe. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, I know you got to go get your baby girl soon. Um, platonic uh, intimacy mm -hmm. with men is something that you brought up at the God Talk. Yes, yes. I've seen you talk about it since uh, when I was doing my homework. So for women who may not prioritize or appreciate it as much, it's a few questions I got on it. One of which, since you started to implement platonic intimacy and prioritize that, have you noticed the level and quality of men just in your environment at large, not just potential romantic partners? Have you noticed the level and quality of men go up around Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Because what happens is when you surround yourself with platonic intimacy, your male friends are not even going to have you around men that mm. they don't feel like you're Facts. safe around. Facts. Like, I met Mike. From Mike, I met AJ. Mm -hmm. From AJ, I met mm -hmm. you. And y'all are all the same type of safe man. Right. That if I meet one bad man and right. he start having me around <laughs> other bad men, then imagine what type of energy I'm going to have right. around me. So I think that just focusing on that has definitely helped me meet higher quality of men, for sure. And with that being said, the other nuance... Have you ever had a moment of platonic intimacy that felt just as, if not more fulfilling than actual sex? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Can you give us an example? Um, okay, so my best friends are both men, uh, mm -hmm. Ty and Cito. From and, New York? Yeah, mm -hmm. Bronx and Harlem. Okay. Um, there was a moment where, you know, I was talking about that loneliness um, not having a partner at the time and just feeling to myself a lot at the time. And I'm like, you know, y'all, y'all are in relationships and I don't want to overstep because a lot of women have more of an issue with it right. than my, the males that right. I deal with don't have an issue with it as much as women. Um, and they stayed up with me all night and we did the vulnerability deck together. Mm. So before I got to do the vulnerability deck with my partner, I did it with my male best mm. friends. And we stayed up for hours pulling cards on each other and, and asking each other these questions and bonding with each other as friends. So I feel like the more you love men platonically, the better you can love them romantically. And the way I show up for them and their mental health and their healing and right. what they need is my my support group. There's no way that I would not know how to love my partner correctly because y'all are ultimately teaching me how Absolutely. men need to be loved and mm. how you need to communicate with a man and how you need to show up for a man and what a man needs. Like my friendships with men have definitely helped me become a better partner. And they're the ones who pointed out my controllingness before I could even talk to my exes. Wow. And I wasn't trying to hear it. I'm like, y'all don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. mm -hmm. I remember Ty told me, he said, you think this relationship is 48 laws of power. Mm. You keep trying to do this like it's a book. Like, stop doing that. So wow. when I asked these men and they like, yeah, you're controlling. I was like, wow. well, there goes that. Wow. <laughs> and um, I right, so actual last question, because I do feel like as a businesswoman, the powerful woman that you are, but also being a mother, mm -hmm. six-year-old daughter, right? Yes, yes. Um, watching my son's mother go through postpartum mm -hmm. and starting to research about it because neither of us knew how to handle that type of energy. And I started to see 
how frequent it is, but a lot of women don't feel safe enough to even speak about some of the thoughts that come into your mind during those stages, Mm -hmm. the emotions that are being riled up. So what advice would you give to women that may be currently experiencing postpartum, especially when they have to function in the space that you do as a owner, a businesswoman, and the bag depends on you as far as your family? Mm -hmm. How did you juggle both? Um, My advice for women that are experiencing that is definitely support group. Mm. Because sometimes going through it is not the hard part. It's going through it alone. I remember I had my first miscarriage and I sat in the house and I cried. Why is this happening to me? Oh, my God, my body is not doing what it needs to do. And then I talked about it online and like a thousand women wrote me and said me too. And then just feeling how common something is and building that community and going through it is what's going to help us get through those things. Going through postpartum ain't sad. It's sitting through postpartum by by yourself in a house that's killing us. So if we continue to build community and support each other through these feelings, then there's nothing we can't get through. And the way that I would say I juggle it um, is delegating. You have to delegate your time to different things. There's never going to be a time where you can get everything done. You get 100% of your day. However you decide you want to slice up that 100% of your day is on you. But you're never going to have more time to do this and still have more time to do that. I'm going to have to take some time from this to focus on that. You cannot do everything. We are not superhuman. We are not superwomen. So delegate your priorities. And I delegate my priorities to a way where, okay, Monday, I'm going to focus on this business. But after a certain amount of time, I'm doing nothing. I'm focusing on watching movies with my baby. On Tuesday, it's this business, it's this platform. Like, because I'm doing so much by myself, I have to create like a mini schedule for myself on when what is going to get handled. There's periods of times where I have to stop working to be a good friend. And I have to sit down and say, okay, what friend have I not checked on in a while? Mm. Mental health wise, who do I need to call? Who might need a phone call? And my energy is so tapped in with my friends that I can feel it when they need me. So I'm like, all right, boom, you're not going to take any shows for this week so you can cook this friend dinner. Mm. You're not going to take a book in for that week so you can tap in with this cousin. Like just delegating my time has definitely helped me do, you do a lot more when you spread out the time evenly. Beautiful. Okay, so before we end, I have a few just one-word questions, okay? Oh, we got a new segment. Yeah, I think this is really cool. (laughs) Okay. So you're just going to answer the questions just with one word, okay? Okay. So the first question is, what makes you feel happy? Hmm. Nala. Beautiful. What makes you feel safe? Cito. What makes you feel peace? Mm. What makes you feel provided for? What makes you feel wanted? Mm. What makes you feel chosen? Nala. Mm. And what makes you feel loved? Daddy. (laughs) My dad. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you so much for being here. We really enjoyed this beautiful conversation, and I know that so many people are going to relate to your story, and that is going to help so many people in their healing process. Tell us where they can find you. Tell us where they can get your books, all of the things. Let them know. Uh, You can follow me all across social media at I am Kara J. I-A-M-K-I-R-A-J. Um, my Instagram page is all things Kara J. And my website is also all things Kara J. You can find everything out about me on there. Beautiful. Beautiful. All right, y'all. We will see y'all again Thank on you. episode eight. Eight, yeah. yeah. No Peace, y'all.
much fun. <laughs> oh my gosh. Gang, gang. Thank you for having gang, me. Gang. Oh my gosh, Beautiful. I can't wait to watch it. Beautiful.